Today we begin chapter 23. It's one of David's adventures in the Judean desert, Melchemet Ke'ilah, the war at Ke'ilah. We had been dealing with Saul in the last chapter, but now the narrative, it returns to David's adventures in the Judean desert. Remember, David had been told by the prophet in the previous chapter, at the beginning, to leave Moab. He had ran to Moab. The prophet told him, go to the land of Judea. And that's what he did. So he's in the land of Judea now. And chapter 23 opens up, and it was told to David, and they said, Look, the Philistines are fighting against and they're looting the threshing floors. That's where the grain is kept. So while David is in this forest in Judea, it's called Yar Charet, the Charet Forest. That's where we left him last. He's told that the Philistines are looting a Jewish city which is located in Judea, and the name of the city is Keilah. Now, this is an interesting situation. The Jewish residents of Keilah, who are under attack, they're asking David for help. They're turning to David and his army of malcontents to defend them. And the fact that the Philistines are rearing their ugly heads again, it's not surprising. And Rabbi Kahan explains it like this. He says that the Philistines have started assaulting Jewish cities because they had heard about the split between Saul and David. They know the kingdom's been weakened. They know that David fled. They may have even thought that he went insane because of that episode a couple chapters ago with Achish, the king of Gat. And so they see it as prime time to start pressuring Israel. And we're not talking about an actual war here, but it's a war of attrition where they loot crops and equipment and they just try to wear the Jews down. Now you can ask, where was King Saul throughout all this? Well, it could be that Saul has deteriorated to such an extent that his duties and responsibilities as king and his kingdom just aren't in his thoughts as much as they should be. There's only one thing that's in his mind, and that's to capture David and put him to death. That seems to be what's occupying him right now. And he's neglected the needs of his citizens. Another reason why Saul might not want to get involved is that the city Keilah, it's right on the Philistine border. And if Saul goes there, things can escalate and Saul may find himself in a confrontation with the Philistine army, and that's something he wants to avoid. And besides, he's probably saying, well, they're not killing Jews, they're just vandalizing them. So Saul isn't there to defend him. And that's why the chapter opens, that the turning to David. Rabbi Kahana, in his commentary, makes an interesting point. It opens up like this, and it was told to David. It doesn't say that the people of Keilah turned to David directly, but it was told to David that the Philistines are looting them. What do you mean it was told to David? Why does it say the people of Keilah turned to David? The rabbi said it's possible that they were simply afraid of Saul. That is, they were afraid to turn to David because maybe Saul would go nuts on them like he did to the priests in Nov. And that's why the verse opens, it was told to David. That is by a third party and not the people of Keilah themselves. So the rabbi explains this mindset where Jews hesitate to turn to, let's say, unconventional channels, even if they're in danger. So why should that be? Why shouldn't the people of Keilah turn to Saul? And the rabbi writes something that's obviously autobiographical from his experiences in the JDL. He points out that the people of Keilah were afraid to contact David directly because they feared the establishment. This is a chronic problem of Jews, even for their own good. Even to save themselves, they're afraid to turn to David because David has been labeled as a rebel, a vigilante, so they were hesitant to turn to him, even if they were in deep trouble. And the rabbi concludes in his commentary, and so we see that through all the generations, Jews aren't willing to seek help from Jewish groups 
which aren't considered acceptable to the Jewish establishment. Even if it's to save themselves, they won't turn to Jews who are frowned upon or unconventional. Okay, so let's step back and look at this situation. The Jews from the city of Keilah are under attack. And King Saul, who represents the sovereign body, he's not around or he just doesn't care enough to defend them or get involved. So now David is asked to step up. So that's an interesting scenario. And we can parallel it to what's going on in Israel today. Because here in Israel today, we have a situation where Jews are often under attack, assaulted by Arabs. And many times the IDF or the police or the official bodies, for one reason or another, either they're not willing or able or interested, maybe their hands are tied. But for whatever reason, they aren't able to defend the citizens of Israel. So what do you do when the governmental body isn't responding? The question arises if it's allowed for the individual to rise up and, so to speak, take the law into his own hands. Is that legitimate? Because that seems to be what's happening here. The official and sovereign entity, King Saul and his army, they're not coming to the aid of the citizens of Keilah. So David is going to have to do it. But we'll examine this question much later on after we learn this whole story, whether or not the individual or a group of people who aren't the official bodies of the government, if they're allowed to, again, take the law into their own hands. Anyway, let's get back to the wars in verse 2. Let's see David's response to all this. So David inquired of Hashem. He said, Shall I go out and smash these Philistines? Okay, so David is obviously interested in helping his fellow Jews. Unlike King Saul, who doesn't seem to care. David, of course, has this instinctive avat Yisrael, and he can't stand idly by when his brothers are suffering. So he turns to the Urim and the Tumim to inquire of Hashem. You see, he has the Urim and the Tumim at his disposal, because as you recall from the end of the last chapter, every time the priest had escaped the massacre in Nov, and he's with David. So David is able to consult with the Urim and the Tumim. So why is he inquiring of Hashem in the first place? After all, isn't it a mitzvah not to stand by a brother's blood? You don't have to consult with the Urim and the Tumim on that. And certainly there's a mitzvah, Avat Yisrael, loving a fellow Jew. So why does he have to consult with Hashem? Because on the other hand, the Philistines aren't killing Jews, they're looting them. But more importantly, David isn't only going to be fighting the Philistines, he's going to have to deal with King Saul and Saul's army as well. Because if he steps into this, he exposes himself and his men to Saul, who is in constant pursuit of him. David's been running around, hiding out, and this will expose him. So David has the dilemma on his hands. Okay, so let's see what Hashem answers him. And the Lord answered, go and attack them. And save Keilah. So Hashem gives David the green light. And that's because we're speaking here of a Mechemet Mitzvah, an obligatory war. And the fact that the Philistines are looting the Jews is a desecration of God's name. And you have to go out and try to stop it. So again, David gets the green light and he's raring to go. But that doesn't mean the men who are with him are also ready to go. And it says in verse 3, And David's men said to him, Look, we're here in Judea in danger and afraid. That is, we have our own problems. And now we're supposed to go to Keilah and face the Philistines? So they're making a Kalva Homer. We're in trouble enough. You're going to make it worse. So we see that David's men, they're not into it. And the great commentator, the Klia Yukar comments, that David's men are exaggerating a little bit. They say to David, they don't want to have to deal with the Marchot Flishtim, the Philistine armies. And that's a bit overblown because we're not talking about armies. We're talking about looters and Philistine gangs, not a full-blown war against the Marchot Flishtim, against the Philistine armies. But the point is, they don't want to go. They don't want to get involved. And Rabbi Kahan explains where they're coming from. Remember, 
we saw already that these men with David, they're not the cream of the crop. Most of David's men have joined him for their own personal reasons. They're not exactly God-fearing men imbued with Avat Yisrael like David is. We saw the verses back then. They're bitter of soul, ish men of distress, etc. So they're telling David, we're here in the land of Judea amongst our own brethren, our own tribesmen, and we're still afraid to show our faces and leave the area. If we leave, we'll be in even greater danger. We'll be exposing ourselves to informers amongst our own tribesmen. And by the way, we'll see there's no shortage of informers around in Judea. And, and not only that, we fear Saul's army. So we're supposed to go out and fight the Philistine army and Saul's army too? That's the argument of David's men why they shouldn't go. Okay, so now in verse four, David is going to again Ask Hashem, and the verse says, David And David asks Hashem one more time. Now, why did he ask again? He already asked. He already got his answer. So according to the Mitzudat David, he says like this, That he asked again because he wanted to give encouragement to his men. And the Redox is basically the same thing. He didn't ask for himself. He was already trusting in Hashem after he asked the first time. But he asked the second time, not for him, but in order to get his men on board. So according to both the Mitzvah David and the Radak, David is asking a second time because of the opposition of his men to the idea. So he's asking to strengthen their resolve and get them on board. Rabbi Kahana has a different idea. Rabbi Kahana says that David asked a second time, not just for his men, but for himself, because he wanted to know what he should do if most of his guys don't go along with him. Should he still go? What if only 50 men of his show up? What if 20 show up? Then it becomes a suicide mission. And so it becomes a halachic question. Am I allowed to trust in miracles? I mean, you're not allowed to trust in miracles. And so that's why he asked one more time. Okay, so David asked that second time, and here's the answer. And Hashem answered him. And he said, Kum, arise, red kila, and go down to kila, ki ani notenet plishtim biadecha, for I am going to deliver the Philistines into your hand. So again, Hashem says, yes, go. After all, this is a matter of Kiddush Hashem here. It's a Mohammed mitzvah, an obligatory war. And even if the Philistines aren't killing Jews, it's still an obligatory war because as the Rambam states in the Laws of Kings chapter 5, what is considered an obligatory war, Mulchemet Mitzvah or a compulsory war? The Rambam says, a war against the seven Canaanite nations, a war against Amalek, and a war to assist Israel from an enemy which attacks them. That's the final category of a Mulchemet Mitzvah. Ezrat Yisrael bideit tsar. A tsar is an oppressor. If they come to attack Israel, it's a Mulchemet Mitzvah. So our situation in Ke'ilah enters that category. The Philistines are raiding Jewish property and it's a mitzvah to, as the Rambam says, assist Israel against an enemy. Ezrat Yisrael Tsar. That's the Hebrew words that the Rambam uses. Okay, so Hashem has given David the green light again. Twice he told David, go and smash the Philistines. And that's exactly what he's going to do in verse 5. It says like this, Ve'elech David va'anshav ke'ilah. And David and his men went to Keilah. Ah, so we see that his men did come along with him in the end. And they battled the Philistines. Which means, and they led away their livestock or they carried off their cattle. So that proves what we've been saying all along, that the Jews in Keilah were not being killed, they were being looted. Because in a regular war, it doesn't say, and they carried away their livestock. Because this isn't a regular war fought over lives but over property. And that's why the verse explains, 
how David is recovering their property, they're carrying off their cattle. And remember, that's one of the reasons we mentioned that David was inquiring of the Lord before this war. He wasn't sure that he should risk his safety in a battle over mere property. But Hashem said, yeah, you go and you defend those Jews of Keilah because this is a Mohammed mitzvah, a compulsory war against an enemy inside the land of Israel. But let's get back to verse five. There's a lot in it. It says that David went to Keilah he battled the Philistines and he led away their livestock. What else does it say? There you go. And he struck them with a great blow. That is, he inflicted some heavy damage on the Philistines. And finally, the verse concludes, David at And David saved the citizens of Keilah. So the verse is clear that David, he saves the day. Now, Rabbi Kahana in his Perush makes an interesting observation about verse 5 that we just read, everything is written in the singular form. Look at the wording. He led away their livestock. He struck them a a huge blow. He, meaning David, again, in the singular form, saved the inhabitants of Keilah. So why is everything in the singular? I mean, David didn't do this alone. It says his men went with him at the beginning. So Rabbi Ghana answers that it's written in the singular form because this whole campaign was all in David's merit. It was his Avat Yisrael. It was his empathy for his brothers that made this thing happen. His men didn't even want to go in the beginning. And therefore, this whole victory is attributed to David. And that's why it's written in the singular and not in the plural form. And so this is a tremendous victory for David. And the verse emphasizes it saying, and David saved the people of Keilah. That's how we end verse five. And this is really important for David's career. Now, if you recall in the previous chapter, David had fled to the land of Moab and the prophet ordered him to return to the land of Israel. The prophet God said, return to Judea. And we mentioned why Hashem doesn't want David leaving the land of Israel for Chutzlaretz as a first resort, but only as a last resort. So he commands David to return to Judea. But now we see another practical reason for it. If David would just hide out in Moab or some other place outside of Israel, he may get Saul off his back, but he won't be advancing his agenda to become the next king. He's cutting himself off from his people. He's not involved. He'll be uninvolved. But by being in Judea, we see he can try to somehow emerge as an alternative to Saul's kingdom. The people will see him around. He'll be out there. He'll be some vigilante leader in exile but he'll be there, he'll be present. And that's what we see here in the Ke'ilah episode. We see how he becomes an alternative leadership to what's out there. He's got his militia. He's even got Eviator the priest to accompany him. He's got himself a mini Malchut. So he, in his own way, is offering a kind of alternative to Saul's kingdom. And speaking of Eviator the priest, the next verse, verse 6, is all about him. Let's read verse 6. Which means, now Evitar, the son of Achimelech, had brought down the Ephod with him when he fled to David at Keilah. Now we saw at the end of the previous chapter, in the final verse, that Evitar fled to David and David said, I'll watch over you. Here it's mentioned again, but it's more specific. It says he fled to David at Keilah. But the verse is totally parenthetical to the story. I mean, it's really stuck in there because we're in the midst of a whole plot here with David and Keilah. And we'll see in the next verse, the story isn't over yet. We'll see how the people in Keilah are going to run to Saul and 
snitch on David and David's going to get in big trouble. So we got a lot more to go in this story. Why break things up with this parenthetical verse that Eviatar and his ephod fled to David? Well, for one, scripture wants us to know how David was able to inquire of the Lord through the Urim and Tumim. He's going to do it three times in this chapter and he can't do it without Eviatar and his ephod. So that's a technical reason why the verse is stuck in here. But Rabbi Kahana has another reason why the verse is placed Tafke here, precisely here. Because if it was just to let us know technically why David was able to inquire of Hashem, then the verse should have been placed at the beginning of the chapter, before David utilizes Evita's services. After all, the verse says here that Evita ran to David in Keilah, and David asked of the Urmatumim before he even got to Keilah. So the Rav says there's another reason the verse is placed here, and it's to show what caused Evitar to take refuge with David. Why should he feel safe with David? Why did he go to David? Why hang out with a fugitive in the Judean desert? And who says David will want him around in the first place? Well, after Evitar saw David's incredible Avat Yisrael at Keilah, how he helps the underdog and was willing to risk it all to help that city, Evitar understood that David is the type of person who will help him, and he can trust him. And that's the reason why the verse about Eviatar joining David is directly after the verse where David saves Keilah, because Eviatar saw it and he was impressed by it. Of course, then we have to ask the question, if Eviatar just got there now, how did David inquire of Hashem that first time when Eviatar wasn't there yet? But we won't get into that. Okay, so there's a lot more that's going to happen. This thing is not over. Keilah has been saved by David, but now David has been exposed. He's out in the open. When his men went out to save Keilah, he put himself out there, and there were stinkers all over the place, a lot of informers, who were going to snitch on him. So David's men were right. Coming to the rescue of the Keilah residents was a dangerous move, and now David is going to have to deal with that. And now let's return to the question I asked at the beginning of the shiur. Does this episode prove to us that vigilante justice is kosher when the sovereign body isn't doing its job? That is, if, let's say, the IDF or the Israeli police aren't able or capable of protecting Jews for some reason or another, is the individual allowed to rise up and solve the problem? That's what seemed to happen here. Saul wasn't solving the problem. So David did. Can we apply that to Israel today? If Arab terror is unleashed on the Jewish people and the Jews feel that the government isn't protecting them, defending them, can they start their own machteret, a Jewish underground? Can they take it upon themselves to take vengeance against the Arabs as individuals? That's a question for halachic debate. Well, one school of thought on this issue is that of what we call the uh, the Mamlachtim, we'll call them. That's the hardcore Zionists of Yeshivat Haramur under Raftau. And they say that it's forbidden for the individual to rise up. Law and order has to be done only through the sovereign body. And they bring passages from Rav Kook to prove their point. And the point is this, that if we have a Jewish government and a Jewish army, then we can't have vigilante justice where individual Jews are rising up and taking the law into their own hands. So they would oppose any individual act like Baruch Goldstein or the Jewish underground from Batayin or Kushamanim that was years ago. They don't oppose, let's say, the Lech and the Etzel, the Jewish undergrounds in the pre-state days, in the days of the British, when the British ruled Palestine. That was okay when Jewish underground movements were blowing up buildings and even blowing up Arabs. That was okay because then we were under British rule. But now that we're under Jewish sovereignty and a Jewish government, they say that you're not allowed to have individual Jews rising up and creating havoc. That is the role of the sovereign body only. 
That is, everything has to be done with surambem lachtit, as they say, through the official government bodies. Other rabbis, like Rabbi Kahana, differ with that. They say that for sure it's the job of the Jewish sovereign body to take action and eliminate the terror, the Chil Hashem. But if for whatever reason, the Jewish army, the Jewish government, isn't willing or able to do so, then it's a mitzvah upon the individual to take action. And the rabbi brings down the story of David and Goliath as an example. When the sovereign body, represented by King Saul, he wasn't willing to take action against Goliath. So what happened? David did. He took the place of the sovereign. So we definitely see two distinct views regarding this issue. Well, lucky for me, the rabbi of my settlement is from Haramor. He's from the Mamlachti school of thought that it's forbidden for individuals to take vengeance when there's a Jewish state and a Jewish army in place. Well, one time I was driving with him in the car. I thought it was a good time to schmooze. And so I got into a discussion with him about this issue because I knew he differs with Rabbi Kahana on it. And so I gave the example that the rabbi gives about David and Goliath. But David stepped up against the Philistine when Saul wasn't willing to do so. So he responded like this. David didn't just go in on his own. When you look at the story, he went to Saul first and Saul kind of gave him permission to go against Goliath. You remember that whole conversation they had? So David was in a way authorized by the Jewish government to fight Goliath. And that's why it was allowed for David to do it. That is, he had the backing of the government. He got permission, etc. So then I asked about our episode. Well, what about Mohammed Keilah, where David is fighting the Philistines and King Saul refuses to do so? You can't say this time that Saul authorized David to protect Keilah. He's not getting authorization from King Saul. The opposite. King Saul hates him. So what did the rabbi answer me? He says that David was acting as king, that he had the Urm and the Tumim. He had been anointed in Beit Lechem. And so he's not your typical individual. And therefore it was kosher because he was acting in his capacity of king or potential king. And that's how he explained it. Anyway, I'm looking at the same story. And just instinctively, when I see it, it's clear to me that David isn't coming from the point of the king or anything like that. It seems to me that he's a good Jew who sees his fellow Jews in trouble and he helps them. And so I think it's kind of forced to claim that David was only allowed to do it because he was, in a certain sense, acting as the king. I don't know. Just looking at the pshat, the simple understanding of the story, that as head of a, let's call it a gang of 400 tough guys. And he did what had to be done. In a place there's no man, be a man. That's where I think he was coming from, not from the point of view that he was the king. Anyway, that was a fun conversation I had with the Rav. We'll return next week when we'll see that the residents of Keilah, despite the fact that David saved them, they're going to inform on him. We'll see, not all of them, but yeah, they'll inform and that's going to hurt because David, again, he had just saved them. Well, that's the Jewish people for you.